comes the, here comes the, here comes the, y'all don't really want it like that, yeah. here comes the, This is McLean Mannix, and you're listening to Pack Center. Before we get started with this week's show, this episode of Pack Center is brought to you by Evoke Fitness. If you're in the Reno area and looking for a new gym, Evoke Fitness is your place to go. On September 10th, Evoke Fitness is starting yet another 30-day challenge where the goal is to complete more than 35 classes during that time frame while also losing the most body fat while improving your endurance. To look at times and classes, go to evokefit.com. That's E-V-O-K-E-F-I-T.com. By partaking in the challenge, you also get access to the trainers at Evoke Fitness plus a free t-shirt. Time is running out, so don't forget to sign up. Remember, if you mention Pack Center while signing up, you will receive 10% off. What up, Wolfpack Nation? It is the voice of Pack Center, Garrett Hirschberg here with my former host, Jordan Burns. Jordan, how was your Labor Day? My Labor Day? Wow. Um, it was actually awesome. The whole weekend was incredible. Um, I took a, a weekend out in Boston to visit my cousin. You know, I've, my, it's where our parents are from, and uh, I've never had a chance to be out there. So that was a, a great experience to, to see the, uh, the city there, you know, and it's a bit of a shame to come back to Reno. You know, I like the big cities. Was it hot and humid there? You know, it was actually pretty great weather until the last day, um, the Labor Day. Uh, ended up walking around Harvard. But did you happen to – I feel like it's uh, customary for anyone who doesn't go to Harvard that goes to Harvard to get a Harvard shirt. Uh, I did not get a Harvard shirt because um, I didn't want to spend that kind of money. <laughs> so, but I bet I bet you had a fun time in Boston. It was a great Labor Day weekend for the Wolfpack as they – Football as the football team started starts their season off one and zero with a dominating win against Portland State. The score was seventy two to nineteen. Yes, I said that right, seventy two to nineteen. Now looking at the score, are you surprised by how much they won by? Uh, yeah, I'm actually am surprised about how much they won by. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't worried that they would lose this game, but I mean, God, the entire team just went off in this one. I. I, I had a chance to watch the game a little bit, and, you know, God, Ty Ganji w- looked incredible. Um, McLean Mannix, man, this guy, he looks big. Like, I think we – I don't know if you've talked about it a little bit um, on the show already, but the guy put on 20 pounds of muscle in the offseason, and, like, he shows it, but, like, didn't give up a second of speed. I think, if anything, he got faster. Yeah, that's something we did ask him last week when we went to practice, and it, it it's it's amazing to see – how fast he he got, and he he already had the speed, but now he has the muscle so that if he to just like not only can he outrun people, but he might be able to run through people. Yeah, he definitely looks like he's he's gotten the power now. I mean, like last year as a true freshman, he he looked a little small, you know, but he was quick. He was never touched, but now like he could go head on with any with any of these safeties right now, and I'm not worried about him one bit. I think uh, looking at him and looking at the the chemistry between uh, Mannix and Tyke Angie this season, I think we're in for a really big uh, high-flying season. Now, this is something we thought the – this is what we thought the air raid offense was going to be last year. We didn't really get this pass, like, pass attack offense, but this year, what we've seen week one, it was full throttle air air raid, and it was really great to see Ganji 16-26 for 342, three touchdowns, and – one his only bad throw of the game was his interception. He threw it off his back foot and went directly to the safety. But yeah, this think- is this is exactly what I was expecting from Matt Mummy last year. I mean, we talked about it so much, but if it and if it wasn't for all that quarterback controversy and the injuries and things like that, you know, this is the kind of season that we would have had last year. But like now that everything's kind of come together and they've had a whole year to work out the kinks, man, this this Wolfpack football team. I'm super excited to watch them play. Yeah, and this offense put together 420 yards of pass. This this offense had 420 passing yards. Uh, Ganji, as mentioned earlier, 342. Freshman running back Toa Tua had 73 on a shovel pass to Jackson Kincaid, Kincaid which went to the house. Christian Solano, uh, backup, had five. So it's just good to see that despite Nevada winning, they put their backups in, and their backups got some good reps. Especially, especially the running, the freshman running backs. 
Yeah, definitely. I think that it, it was great that we had the opportunity to like spread the ball around. This is, I believe, this is Ty Kanji's last year with yeah, the Wolfpack. He's, he's a know? senior, mm-hmm. so it's going to be good to see like, who the next up is for next year. And it's great that they're going to have a chance to, to learn this uh, Matt Mummy offense because it's not easy for for a young quarterback to kind of come into to an air raid offense like this. You know, it takes a lot of precision and a lot of practice to be able to throw the ball um, with that kind of skill, and especially because, like, anyone before this generation, they've always been run heavy. We've had a lot of mobile quarterbacks and things like that, and that's kind of how we've recruited for a long time. And now we really need to be able to, to, to have someone that can sit in the pocket and, and sling the ball downfield. Um, and I know what I'm super excited to see uh, Ty Ganji hit Mr. 400 again consistently and at 342 yards this game. I mean, if we weren't winning by such a number, you know, I, we probably would have been able to uh, to see him surpass that 400 yard mark. Now, I we mentioned McLean Mannix earlier, and I think he's going to have a great year. But I think someone else we Wolfpack fans need to talk about is Ka- is Caleb Fossum. Last year against Northwestern, he suffered a gruesome leg injury. And it's truly come full circle. It's been over 365 days since his back. It was good. It was good to see him back on the field uh, playing week one because last last year he did get injured during the first game. So it is really good. And to see he had six receptions for 139 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, McLean Mannix stole all, th- all of his touchdowns with because Mannix had three touchdowns. I mean, Mannix is – he's an end zone monster. You know, I, I'm not – gonna de- deny that but Caleb Fossum I mean he's definitely that like between the hashes kind of receiver you know he's gonna be the one that go out in the trench and he's gonna make the the, the clutch catches you know and then give the give that opportunity to McLean Mannix to to score the touchdown uh at the end of the drive so you know I I, I like that you mentioned him coming back from injuries because I love to see comebacks like this um I think that we were all kind of worried about like how how he would adjust coming back from that injury and this guy's a tough man. I mean, I, I looking at that that injury, you know, from last year and being able to come back and put up 139 yards and six receptions in your first game back, like come on, like who does that? That that was impressive. I'm I'm very happy to see Caleb Fawson back and I'm super excited to see uh what this receiving core can do. Yeah, and I think it was very important to get the offense uh out early, get them on fire, and especially this has something to do with the fans. And here's here's what Caleb's had to say about how important it was for the offense to get on fire. That question a lot of, you know, how are you guys going to be this year? How's the offense look, the air raid? And, you know, I think we answered a lot of questions the first game. Uh, I think that's what we expected to do that game. Um, we got a big challenge coming up, so I'd like to just show, you know, what the whole team and offense can do uh, this week. Big challenge, though. So. I think one thing that, because the offense is on fire, I think that entices fans to go to more games because the attendance was kind of low uh, leading up to the start of the kickoff, and then all the freshmen from Running of the Wolves showed up. But I still think like it's kind of lackluster for a, a, a Friday night football game during Labor Day weekend. Like I feel like there should be more more people there. I mean, I I know personally that I'll, and see myself. A lot of people went out of town for the long weekend, you know. And like you said, we've had the attendance has gone down in recent years, and I think people going into the season might not have had as much um, enthusiasm and uh, yeah. And so you know no. A lot of these returning uh, university students, you know, like ourselves, like I know a lot of like people our age, they've seen Nevada football go down the tubes in the last couple of years and they're not going to go out. They're all they're more focused on basketball. I mean, rightfully so. Right. But I think after a game like this and and the news getting out that like Nevada Wolfpack football is back, man, Matt Mummy, his his. his scheme is working now. The defense is looking on point. I mean, we, we did play a team that's what, a, a D1A. D1AA that went 0-11 last year. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously we're not, we're not against the greatest opponent ever, but, I mean, there were some good looks that we saw on defense, and I think that uh, there might be a little bit more of encouragement for uh, the Wolfpack fans to come out and support this year. Um, I mean, at least I hope so, and I'm super excited to for us to to be able to report on it. I'm super excited to be on on the field this year and taking photos for the the games that I can come to. Um, but you know, like I said, and like you said, this year is going to be inc- going to be a completely different ball game than it was last year. Yeah, and one thing I think is if if we're beating the teams we supposed to beat. Last year we didn't do that. Like last year we lost at home to Idaho State. 
a D1 AA school. That was so, embarrassing. That that was. And so I think seeing that we we did win, we we killed the team we were supposed to kill. Yeah. And I think that expectations are are on the on the up in, increase because fa- Nevada fans are just waiting for bas- for basketball and that rightfully so as you mentioned. But that doesn't happen until November 6th. Yeah, I mean, I think the the big the big game that's going to kind of like shift the momentum for it is when we play our first Mountain West game, right? And that's going to really tell like, all right, is Nevada Wolfpack for real? I mean, they look like they're for real in this game, but like you said, I mean, these guys are double or D one double A. They went zero and seventeen last year, or whatever. Like, they're not they're not real opponents right now. You know, it's this is kind of like what you should expect from a game like that. Seventy two points. In a game, I mean, that's fantastic for any team, you know. But I think once we play that first Mountain West game, and if Nevada Wolfpack does good, we win, we put up another 72 points, you're going to expect these these uh, these stands to be filled. Yeah, and especially with our opponent in Week 2, we travel to Vanderbilt this week. We, There's a great city in Nashville. Um, I think if Nevada does win, I think we could have a lot. We would be riding a lot of momentum heading into Oregon State, which is at home. So I think if we do beat Vandy, uh, I think expect to have the crowds more packed because that game is uh, against Oregon State. It's next weekend. It's a four o'clock kickoff on a Saturday. So I feel like because it's now a Saturday, you have more people there because unlike with Friday, you have people coming off work. Yeah, no, that Saturday game is going to be the big one for us. Um, you know, tailgating will be back in full swing. You know, people will be out there ready, especially coming off a Vanderbilt win and a Portland State win like this. Uh, it's going to be hype. We're going to have a great time. There's going to be a lot of partying coming coming in, in the uh, the parking lot. There's going to be a lot of partying going on in the stands. And you know what? There's going to be a lot of good football going on on the field. Now, I think the Vandy game will be tough. Vandy is, at the moment, nine-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, but I talked to one of their beat writers, and he said if if Nevada can – if this game is high-scoring, Nevada has a better shot at winning. But if it's, like, a low-scoring game, uh, then that's a, that playing to Vandy's strong suit. Yeah, I definitely think this is going to be a, a big defensive game. I think that our offense have proved themselves in this game pretty well, and I think they proved themselves last year as well. Our, thing, our, our biggest issue last year – was one the quarterback controversy in the beginning of the season that put us in a, a really bad spot moving forward for the rest of the season, but also our defensive spot with um, players being out and injured and things like that. But now coming back and uh, if we can show that we can play against a good team like Vanderbilt, you know I think that Nevada is not going to have any issue uh, throwing the ball and uh, making some good plays. I mean McLean Mannix, man, you can't catch him. No, and uh, funny thing is, is a story that's circulated uh, over since Monday is that McLean Mannix decommitted from Vanderbilt. This this is true. Uh, Vanderbilt recruited Mannix to be, be a running back. McLean didn't want to do that. He chose Nevada. Smart uh, man. Yeah, but one thing we forgot to mention from the Portland State game was this. It was a weird game in the sense that like this game took forever. Um, that's a normal Nevada thing. No, but it wasn't even a televised game. It doesn't matter. But, These games always take forever. Like there was a uh, so Corey Rush was called with a tar- with a targeting call when he's number ninety nine. When the actual targeting call was on number ninety eight, Sam Hammond. So I talked, I talked to him. I talked to Corey about that situation. I was I was upset, but there's really nothing you could do about. It. I knew they were gonna get it fixed, so kind of just got off and tried to stay warm as best as I could. But not only was that weird, but it was also weird. Like, the game took forever. Like, there were a bunch of, like, uh, the refs. Like, it felt like this game was drawn out when it didn't need to be. But then, I, but then again, that's college football. Yeah, and I think it's, it's Nevada football, too. I mean, we've been to games that have been four or five hours long, man. I, it, they have been televised games, but, you know, I'm, I'm never surprised when a Nevada football game goes over four hours. Yeah, that's that's true, and I don't get why college football games, especially this like, it's a D one school versus a D one double A school, needs to be four hours. I don't know, man, I th- and I think it has to do a lot with the the, the passing style of our offense. You know, I th- uh, because you know when you pass the that's- ball, the time stops way way more. You know, you're gonna you're gonna have an incompletion here and there. You're gonna go out of bounds, things like that. You know, there's there's a lot of opportunity for for the clock to stop, and that's kind of why Nevada football games are gonna last so long. Uh, you know, I, 
some, there's going to be days where we're going to we're going to miss the uh, the old power rushing team, you know, where the games were uh, under three hours long. Yeah, but even then, I never, th- I I don't think college football games were ever under three hours, especially in Nevada. That's true. Uh, but let's let's jump back into Vandy. Uh, it's beat Vandy week. Uh, as we mentioned, Nevada is nine and a half point uh, underdogs. Now, what are your predictions for this game? You know, that's kind of a tough one. I think that uh, the spread is, is is smart with that. I think that's a, a good conservative spread. But like you said, with the Vandy beat writer, um, you full, know, full interview coming coming uh, later in the episode. Yeah, you'll you'll hear more about that later in the episode. But you know, I I, I think he's he's onto something there with the. Uh, if Nevada can put up the points, I think it's really hard to defend a team like ours who's really good in the air and has that 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 dual threat in the uh, in the air. You know, with Caleb Fossum, like talked about, you know, he's that between the hash kind of kind of receiver, and you got uh, McLean Mannix who's going to beat you up top any day of the week, right? And I think that uh, if our defense can hold, uh, then we're in a good spot. And this is going to be, and that's the big test of this game. It's really going to be kind of like a highlight or uh, a showcase of of what our defense can do, and it's really going to set the tone for the rest of the season. So if I'm going to put a prediction down, I think it's going to be Nevada Wolfpack, and I have total faith in Mr. 400, Ty Ganji. See, in talking with Chris Murray and the other Nevada writers, uh, one thing they, they kept mentioning was the offensive line, and I get Nevada's offensive line isn't great, but if Nevada's offensive line can keep Ganji up, in the pocket and let him make let him make time let him have time to make his reads. I think Nevada will be in success. I I predicted a couple weeks ago that Nevada was going to lose this game. I do think Nevada covers the nine and a half. I think it's like a six, seven point game, but I do think that Vandy's defense. They're an SEC defense. They're big. They're fast. They're strong. Mm-hmm. But one thing, one interesting note that I found out from the interview was Vandy does not really have a home like uh like a home field advantage. Really? Yeah, and it, they they str- like they've struggled over the past years with recruitment, but not recruitment, but like with attendance. I mean, so have we. Yeah, but this is also an SEC school. Yeah. In in Nashville. Yeah, no, I I definitely see what you're saying there. And I like that you brought up the offensive line cuz I didn't even think about that before uh talking because you know, we in the last couple of years, we've lost some of our biggest superstars on the offensive line in, in years. You know, Joe Batilio and um, uh, Austin Corbett. Austin Corbett, you know, going to the Browns and now starting this year. Congratulations to those guys. Um, but, you know, we got, a, we got a young offensive line, but they've had, they've had time to learn from these great offensive line linemen. And it, I don't know what Vanderbilt's defensive line looks. I don't know if they got any superstars out there. Um, but, you know, it... it it could go either way. I think. I think that the that that matchup between the the front sevens is really going to be the, the issue for this game. I don't think we're going to have any issue uh, picking apart their their secondary. It's really going to be like, who's going to be? Are they, are they going to rush? Is Ty Ganji going to be able to get out the pocket in certain situations? You know, and I have faith with with Ty Ganji on his on the ground. You know, he, he's had incredible success running outside the pocket, and I think that's something that in, in history Nevada's done an incredible job at. And I'm glad that they're keeping that um, that legacy alive. Uh, so you know, it's really going to be a test on Ty Ganji to see uh, what kind of awareness he has in the pocket and what kind of uh, moves he can make outside the pocket. Now, this is this is an interesting note that I've did that I found from talking to some people with within the Wolfpack. Uh, this will be the second week in a row Nevada faces a son of a current NFL coach. Last year they faced uh, last week against Portland State they faced off against Davis Cutter which is the son of Dirt Cutter the head coach of the Buccaneers he is like a backup quarterback and this week they face off against uh, Kyle Shermer who's the son of uh, Pat Shermer the head coach of the New York Football Giants and uh, Kyle Shermer's on his way to becoming like one uh, breaking all the Vanderbilt passing records. Well, wow, so that's going to be an interesting game. I think that we might actually see. Uh... A high flying game, a lot of passes. So maybe, maybe the the emphasis is on the uh, the cornerbacks for both teams. So I, again, like I just want to see what our Nevada Wolfpack uh, second uh, defense can do. You know, both in both the the 
the front seven and the secondary. Yeah, but looking looking at yards, especially in week one, sure, we played Portland State. Vandy played Miss, uh, Middle Tennessee State. We got 636 yards total. They only got 346. Granted, that could be the opponent, but I think if Nevada if Nevada does out outgain them, I think we're gonna be in I think we're gonna be in a good situation to possibly win the game. I mean, we've got a lot of momentum. We've got a lot of there's a lot of good things that we saw in this Portland State game that's gonna uh, transfer over to this Vanderbilt game. I think the confidence going into it is is high for the team. I mean, obviously they know that they're they're gonna be facing a much harder opponent than Portland State. But they've seen that they can do it. They've seen that they can that they can play together. The fans have seen that they can play together. I mean, the chemistry's all there. So they ha- they have the building blocks. They have the pieces to win this game. So as we mentioned, kickoff is at 9 a.m. Pacific time. So Wolfpack fans, I expect you guys up early. Start tailgating it very early. You can catch that game on the SEC Network, which is a part of the ESPN family. And now... Let me just set my alarm for that one real quick, Garrett. <laughs> Are you even going to be able to get up and watch it? Uh, probably not. <laughs> I'll be in Vegas this weekend, so we'll see. Yeah, so Wolfpack fans, make sure you're up and watch and root your, root your Wolfpack on from your couch. And now let's jump into this interview. I sat down with Vanderbilt beat writer Adam Sparks from the Tennessee, and it was a really great interview. Hope you enjoy. joined today by Vanderbilt beat writer Adam Sparks for the Tennessean. Adam, how's it going today? Hey, not bad. How are y'all doing? We're doing good in Reno. Uh, so, was there anything surprising about Vanderbilt's first win against Middle Tennessee State? Um, maybe that it, it went so easily. Um, you know, this was similar to the game that they played against Middle Tennessee last year. They beat them by 22 last year supposed to be a close game was not this was also supposed to be a close game was not um you know there just wasn't a whole lot of flaws in the first game i think maybe that surprised me a little bit uh, had the most sacks that they've had on defense under in Derek mason's five-year tenure uh had no turnovers had a defensive touchdown um threw the ball well ran the ball reasonably well um so there there just wasn't really uh a lot of hiccups or maybe none at all in, in the opener. Usually you're, you're used to seeing some weakness early on and that they just, they, they had a really good season opening win. And you know, looking at that defensive touchdown, it was a fumble recovery, but do you think that was mostly due to the fact that uh, it was just a poorly run play by middle Tennessee state? Like it was like a bubble screen that was just a fumble. Um, somewhat. I, I do think there was a little more to the why that play was called. Uh, you didn't see many swing passes like that uh, in the game, uh, but they couldn't. Uh, Middle Tennessee it, could not really find a way to get the passing game going. That's not really a play that you want to run uh, that much of a swing pass out into the flat when you're that close to when you get your back to the end zone. But uh, the pass rush had come so uh, so well from, from Vanderbilt. They had a number of hurries, had six sacks, that I think Middle Tennessee was kind of forced into uh, trying a play that they necessarily wouldn't have run otherwise. And so uh, by doing that, that, that was a, it was a poorly thrown ball. Uh, but I think, I think the fact that there was so much pressure on the pass rush uh, it kind of forced MTSU into calling that play. Now, is the defensive line the, uh, the, strength, the strongest part of this defense? Um, it, it wasn't necessarily going to be this year. I mean, if on paper, it, you didn't think it'd be. Um, they, they only brought back one starter, uh, uh, Dare Odengbo. Uh, Dayo Odengbo, his younger brother, is the one that scooped and scored on that on that fumble. Um, they're probably they're, they're two of the best pass rushers. Uh, a uh, grad transfer from Penn, from an All Ivy League player, Louis Vecchio is a new guy. Uh, they had a sack in the first game. He's a really good addition. Uh, they had some pieces there, and if you talk to the coaches, they thought the defensive line was going to be really good. They felt like there was talent there that just hadn't shown up yet, a lot of young talent. Um, but on paper, you didn't necessarily think that. I, I, I kind of thought maybe the secondary would be a little stronger than the defensive line. Uh, 
maybe the two just worked well together in that first game. There are a couple of, of sacks that were coverage sacks. So you can see the, the secondary a little bit had something to do with that. But Vandy has a new defensive coordinator, Jason Tarver, uh, previously at uh, with the 49ers and the Oakland Raiders. Before that was at Stanford with Derek Mason. And uh, he just had a really good scheme in the first game. I'll be curious to see how much of – of that game he takes over into this Nevada game because they're not the same offense as Middle Tennessee and Nevada, but there are some similarities in what they do. Yeah, you're right. Nevada did put up quite a bit more points in their week one matchup than Middle Tennessee State. Uh, but Yeah, I mean, 72 against anybody uh, means something, whether it's Portland State or, or Ohio State. If you can score that many and put up that many yards, it certainly means you got you got an explosive offense. Yeah, and one of the players you you did you mentioned the story about McLean Mannix decommitting from Vanderbilt and coming to Nevada. Uh, yeah, Mannix was a guy who had been committed to Vanderbilt early in the summer until uh, I think the day before signing day. Um, and the, the, I, the, the story that I've gotten is that he was mostly looked at as going to be um, kind of a hybrid uh, running back mostly, but they would split out. Uh, to be a receiver, use them in the slot. They've had a couple of guys over the last few years they've used in that way running backs that they also like to use in the passing game. Um, and from what I understand, McLean Mannix wanted to be wanted to be a traditional wide receiver. They didn't think his wide receiving skills were quite there yet. Uh, they may have found out that they were once he got to campus, but uh, that didn't happen. He decommitted, went to Nevada, and, and obviously that's been a great fit for him. And Derek Mason even said, uh, this week that looking at, at the film, they can tell that Mannix really developed well as a as a far better route runner than they thought he was in high school. And I, and I believe he did. He moved, uh, I think, from running back to wide receiver. In his last in his year, yes. year in mm-hmm. high school. Yeah. So it was kind of raw early on, but but picked it up quickly. And, you know, he, he's in the right offense. I'm sure Vandy would like to have him now, but he's in the right offense for what he does. Now looking looking at Nevada's offense, they run an air raid style offense. Did Vanderbilt face any air raid offenses last year? Uh, not by that moniker, not air raid. And Hal Mummy, Matt Mummy, uh, you know that tree. Um, you know, there's uh, well, I, let, let me say this: Tony Franklin, the offensive coordinator for Middle Tennessee, was uh, worked under under Hal Mummy at Kentucky, and so there are some similarities to what they do, as I mentioned before. Uh, but but what what Middle Tennessee does now is not quite air raid as Nevada does it. Um, but yeah, I mean v- Vandy has faced some of that in non conference play over the years. You don't see much of that in the SEC, obviously, because they rely so much on the run game, offensive line. Uh, sometimes you go to an air raid if you don't necessarily have size. Obviously, the SEC has plenty of size. Um, but it's it's an it's going to be an interesting matchup. I think the fact that the quarterback is a dual-threat guy that can run. I think it, it adds maybe another element that Vandy's going to have to look at. Yeah, you're right. Ty Ganji can do everything from pass to run. Uh, but one thing I think that's an interesting note for this game is the fact that Nevada ha- can play four running backs. And they had uh, they had a freshman th- come in this year who was, who whose high school mixtape uh, absolutely exploded the internet in uh, Devontae Lee. Do you remember him? He was the guy who looked uh, bigger than everyone else from Oklahoma. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he uh, – and it, 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 it's interesting to see Nevada have four running backs that they can go to in an air yeah, raid offense. I'll be, inter- I'll be curious to see how they use those two. Uh, Portland State, from from best I can tell, you couldn't, you couldn't see all of what Nevada would do because the score was so lopsided. I would expect this one to be, you know, fairly close one way or another. And I think you have, you know, you have two teams, two offenses. They would like to go, they would like to have a fresh back in the third and fourth quarter. Uh, Nevada uses four. Vandy will use three uh, three running backs. And, you know, it, they're going to use the run game different, though. Uh, I think, you know, with Nevada, they'll be able to throw to their back some, but they'll also uh, be able to rotate their guys and try to get them into space. I know Vandy is pretty concerned about how well, um, how, how well that, uh, Nevada skill guys, running backs and wideouts, both are really good out in space. Um, Vanderbilt's a little different. They're going to try to wear down that they the, the softening process they call it at Vandy. Uh, they they would like to get into a physical game, be able to run the ball between the tackles, use their their big offensive line, 
and use their backs in that way. So I guess we'll see second half uh, kind of which approach to use multiple backs works best. From what you're describing, Vandy is using what uh, every SEC school is just pound, just pound the rock and wear wear down defenses. Is so is the running game the strength of this offense? It's it's the hopeful strength. Uh, two years ago, when Vandy went to a bowl, that was what they did well. They ran well between the tackles, power running. Uh, last year, they tried to do that and and it failed. They're trying to get back to that this year, uh, but it's it's an interesting situation because. Uh, they call it their run-to-win approach. They feel like if they can run the ball, they get a chance to win any game. If they can't run the ball, they're not going to win. Um, it's, it's as simple as that. But in the first game, uh, Derek Mason even said that they relied a little too heavily on the run game. They kind of got enticed by it some. Uh, they came out and ran every play on their opening drive, uh, scored on that drive, and then said, okay, we're just going to run the ball. And what happened is Middle Tennessee loaded up the box, uh, gave plenty of room to throw the ball, but Vandy didn't uh, didn't go to the air. Um, I expect they'll they'll look a little more to the play action pass, look a little more at opportunities to throw the ball early in this game if they're there. Um, Kyle Shermer's maybe their best player on either side of the ball. Their quarterback, he's an NFL caliber guy. Who'll get drafted uh, next April. Um, he's the son of uh, New York Giants uh, head coach Pat Shermer. Uh, he's, he's just a really good SEC quarterback, and they would like to utilize him. He only threw the ball 17 times in the opener. Uh, they'd like to get a little more balance in their offense. But, yeah, if they're, if they're going to win games this year, it's going to be running the ball. Now, this, when, when looking at the opening line it's, uh, for this game, it started at uh, Vandy minus 10. Now it's at 8.5. What are, what are your expectations to see f- from this game? Boy, that's hard to say. Um, you know, I, I would I would tend to see it how I thought the Middle Tennessee game might go. If if you looked at that line, it started out I think as about eight, and it shrunk to to three. Um, and as it shrunk, the the over under went up. In other words, Middle Tennessee was going to have a better chance if this was a higher scoring game. I tend to think that that about this game. Uh, if you get it up into the 30s, Nevada's got a, a far better chance of winning this game, a little more of a shootout. Um, so I, I think maybe the, the line is shrinking a little bit there because people think it may be a higher-scoring game. Uh, but, you know, also I think you got to take into account that Vanderbilt at home isn't necessarily as much of a home-field advantage as that you would see other places in the SEC. Uh, the attendance was not good in the first game. Uh, it's still a home field advantage, but it's not quite what you'd see, you know, at a Georgia or an LSU or an Alabama. So I think maybe that shrinks the line a little bit. Uh, I can see why Vandy is favored, especially how they played so well in the first game. But uh, you know, th- th- they're going to have some mistakes in game two. Game one went seamlessly almost, and uh, Nevada I think is going to give them far more trouble, uh, especially with their offensive firepower. And I'm just curious to see if Nevada is the type of team that can put up 40 against a, a Vanderbilt defense. Um, you know, I think I, I think if they can get half of what they did against Portland State, then uh, then we get a good game. Yeah, you're right. I think this will be the first true test for Nevada because Portland State, they are a D1 AA school. They went 0-11 last year, not against a great – and they didn't even have that great of a schedule. But what, getting back to Vandy real quick, why do you think Vandy has a problem like with attendance? Nashville is such a great city. Um, it's a few things. Number one, the enrollment is small. It's a, it's a relatively small school when you compare it to other SEC schools. So it's a small enrollment. It's a lot. Of, it's a, number, a pretty good amount of about ten percent of the enrollment international students. Uh, the, the majority of the enrollment uh, is from outside of the state. Uh, so you don't have you don't have a lot of alums that actually stay around Nashville. You. You come to Vanderbilt, you you get your degree, and then you move back to the Northeast or 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 out west or or back to another country if you're an international student, and that just happens a whole lot with Vanderbilt students. You start with few, and then you end up with fewer, um, and also just the the private school. Uh, I think a lot of private schools have a challenge of trying to get people in town to to, to support them if they're. You know, so-called sidewalk fans. I think it's a little easier if you're the state university, and there just isn't a long tradition of winning. Uh, there's not much tradition of winning at all. Uh, this school was 
you know, was a losing program in football from most of from the 1930s until James Franklin got here uh, just a few years ago. And so if you have decades and decades of losing, it's kind of hard to build uh, to build kind of a big fan base on that. Speaking of coaching, you mentioned Derek, Derek Mason. Would you consider Derek Mason on the hot seat? Because in the five years he's been here, he's been to one bowl game and does not have a winning record. No, I get, I get asked that question. I say just about every time I'm on a podcast or radio uh, around the conference and the country, because people do look at that overall record and, and they make that assumption. Uh, Vanderbilt kind of has a different standard uh, for better or worse. They know kind of where they are in the pecking order. So, uh, you don't have to win as much or go to as many bowls at Vanderbilt as you do a lot of other schools uh, to keep uh, to keep your job. You know, there's there's so much put on uh, how the players do academically. Kind of being an ambassador for the program, academics is actually really uh, valued higher than than football um, at Vanderbilt, and so um, you can you know you can keep, kind of keep your nose clean and win enough games to keep your job at Vanderbilt. And then the other side of it is just, uh, you know, with that bowl, uh, bowl appearance two years ago, uh, Derek Mason got a contract extension. So he went back to five years, I believe. So uh, he had four years left in his contract coming into this year. Uh, and Vandy just traditionally does not fire coaches, uh, you know, with any more than maybe one year left on the contract. So he's going to be fine. His AD likes him. The administration likes him. Fan base likes him. Uh, he's going to need to win. Now, if he goes – two and ten this year he's certainly in trouble but uh i think it would take a disastrous season like that for him to him to be in trouble at all i think he'll be here for multiple years beyond this one so if they go five and seven like they did last year his job should be safe oh yeah five and seven he's safe i think four and eight he's safe uh honestly if i had if i was a betting man i'd say three and nine or two and ten he'd be safe he just would be on the hot seat coming into next year now, coming into the season, what were your predictions for Vandy, like, to go record-wise? Um, I didn't put necessarily a number on it. I kind of said a, a range. Uh, I, I said a number of times I thought the floor for this team was 4-8, and eight, and I thought the ceiling was 7-5. and five. And I still stick to that so far. People can look at the first game and say, boy, this, this team's got to be better than 4-8 and because they just annihilated Middle Tennessee. But Middle Tennessee is the, you know, 10th maybe 11th best team on Vanderbilt's schedule. So that was a good win, but it didn't change uh, my view one way or another. If, you know, I think this Nevada game is, is it could be kind of telling. If they beat Nevada, then you can say, okay, I, there's bowl hopes there that can maybe get to six wins. If you lose to Nevada, people will say, well, who else can they beat? Uh, you know, there's maybe a couple more wins on schedule. You're talking about more of a, a three and nine and four and eight. So when Vandy looked at the schedule at the beginning of the year, uh, they counted, you know, three non-conference wins and tried to try to steal three SEC wins to get to, uh, uh, to get to a bowl. And Nevada would be one of them. They have Notre Dame after that. So that's not a win. Um, and so that, they need to be beat Nevada to have a chance at a bowl. Do you think, do you think Nevada has a shot to go into uh, Nashville and beat Vandy? Uh, yeah, I think there's a shot. I mean, Nevada's got a good offense. You know, if you played Nevada last year, year before that, I think Vandy would feel a lot better. Um, it, it seems to me, though, from afar, that that offense has, has started to kind of gain in its identity and made the transition into what Nevada was before. Um, you know, I, I think the line is probably about right. I think this is – I'll look at this as maybe a touchdown game. Uh, maybe even a little more. It really depends on how the game goes. If this is a grinded-out, physical-type game, Vanderbilt's going to win it. If it's a game that's, that's high-scoring and you kind of have both teams going back and forth, I think Nevada has a far better shot. Uh, but either way, I think Nevada's a good enough team uh, to, to come into, uh, into Nashville to get a win. Now, how we were talking about home crowd earlier, and how big is Nashville's or Vandy Stadium? Uh, it's just over 40,000. Um, you'll get for SEC games, uh, you'll get, you know, you'll get upper 30s in there. Uh, occasionally, occasionally you have it sold out, you know, if, if it's uh, Georgia or Alabama in town. But that's a lot to do with visiting fans. Uh, for this game, I would expect probably in the mid-20s. And so does uh, do a lot of people in Nashville go to Knoxville to root on uh, Tennessee? Is it like a big um, Tennessee no. community? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's a good number of Tennessee fans, of UT fans, all throughout the state. Um, obviously, the most in East Tennessee. There's quite a number in Middle, and there's quite a number in West Tennessee. But yeah, it's uh, you know, there's some of the Middle Tennessee State fan base that are UT fans also, and now, there's not there's very few, if any, any that are Vandy and UT fans, but there are quite a bit of people in Nashville, alums and and and, and otherwise that are that are UT fans. So the fan base stretches all the way across the state. I'm just trying to gauge whether or not Nashville, because from what you're describing, Nashville is not a very good college football city. Like it uh, seems it, like it's more of like it's an a, NFL. No, well, no, no. It's well, I mean, it's a football overall, but no, it's a. Like when the when you see the ratings come out for SEC championship game, for bowl games, for the college football playoff, Nashville's usually among like the top three or four in the country in terms of ratings. Um, Nashville, Atlanta, Birmingham, uh, Columbus, Ohio, those are usually the 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 highest that where the where the highest ratings are for big college football games. The difference with Nashville is it's not tied to one school. You've got some Vanderbilt fans. You've got quite a bit of Tennessee fans. There's a lot of Alabama fans. There's some Ole Miss fans. There's some Georgia fans. Uh, you really get a blend of, of uh, really, I'd say almost every SEC school, they've got a pretty decent contingent in Nashville. And then you've got mid-majors like Middle Tennessee and Western Kentucky and Louisville and some others. Uh, so it's, not, it's, it, it's a really good college football town. It's just not really dedicated to one team. Now, is is the school trying to win over Nashville from all the other schools? Uh, you're saying is, does Vanderbilt try to win? Yeah, over yeah, Nashville? it's like trying to like like make Nashville Van, like Vandy's own. Yeah, that, I mean that's the, that's the hope. It's just it, it's going to take winning over a long period of time. You know, I get asked a lot if if James Franklin had stayed at Vanderbilt, could that have happened? You know, he went to he was here for three seasons. Before he went to Penn State, he won six games, went to a bowl, won nine games, went to a bowl, won nine games again, went to a bowl. And so that looked like it was on its way where if he stayed at Vanderbilt, let's say, another three or four years, you know, you would probably see the fan base grow quite a bit. I think at the time he left, it had gotten some momentum going, but not enough that it was going to hold long term. Derek Mason came in and really struggled early in his tenure. Got him back to a 500 team a couple of years ago, but you know when you've got decades and decades of losing in a program, it, it probably takes about a decade of winning uh, to really, really increase the fan base quite a bit, and th- they just haven't been able to put that together yet. It's not. It's not like Vandy football can harness the like the stardom of Vandy baseball. Uh, no, the two different animals. Um, you know. Now, Vandy baseball, there's there's some lessons in that, and they went from one being a really, really struggling uh, program to maybe the best program in the country. Uh, but, you know, you can take – you know, v- Vandy football is in is in a big debate right now about trying to get a, a stadium. There's uh, very little support from the administration. The fans are irate about it, that they want a new stadium. They want some upgrades to the stadium. Hadn't been renovated since 1981. And a lot of people point to how Vanderbilt baseball did. Well, Vanderbilt baseball built a, a first-class team facility that's just about any in the country, but they did it for $12 million. You can do that with a team facility in baseball. $12 million, you know, in football gets you new turf and new lockers. So it's just the, the scale is different, I think. But there are some lessons in what Vandy baseball has done. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just tough to do in football. It just takes a whole lot of money. And to bring in a lot of money, usually you need a lot of wins. And you, you certainly need an administration uh, that will really be intent on selling and fundraising. And that's just not been Vanderbilt traditionally. It's not now. Uh, there's just such a high, high, uh, high emphasis put on academics, which is ad- admirable. But there's, there's not an emphasis put on football by this administration. And that's kind of a weird thing to be in the SEC where, you know, where football is put up on a pedestal by all the other schools. All right, final question here. Was it bittersweet for, to watch uh, Vanderbilt beat your uh, alma mater, Middle Tennessee State? <laughs> uh, no, uh, because I, I, uh, I'm, I'm proud of my alma mater where, where, I, where I graduated, Middle Tennessee State. But 
I've never really been uh, – I've, I've been a sports writer my entire adult life, and so I never got to be a fan of a college team as an adult at least. And so uh, when I go to any kind of game, I always look at it as just an, an objective sports writer covering the game. I don't really put any feelings one way or another into it. The interesting stat there is that I have – covered one of those two teams i was a middle tennessee beat writer for 10 years before i covered vanderbilt and those two teams have played seven times kind of in the modern era and the team that i cover is seven and oh that's so funny. i covered middle tennessee for three games they won all three then i went over to cover vanderbilt and they won four in a row in that series so i don't know what that says but i'm a good luck charm one way or another well, hopefully Vanderbilt, hopefully your good luck charm can continue for Vanderbilt outside of this Nevada game uh, into the rest of the season. But I, I expect a pretty good one. Uh, I'm just curious to see if it's going to be high scoring or not. I think I think the uh, how high the score goes in this one probably determines the winner. And, and I don't mean just individually. I mean at the top of game. If we get a game up in the 30s and 40s, Nevada has a better shot. If if we have one. Maybe in the twenties, low thirties. I think Vanderbilt wins it. Can Van- can Vanderbilt hang a- hang around with like a high scoring offense like Nevada? Do you think? Uh, the last couple of years, I'd say no. This year, I would say yes uh, because their best player is the quarterback. I have some questions a little bit about their young wide receivers, uh, but Kalaja Lipscomb, their best wide receiver, is uh, he's he's a legitimate, very very good SEC wide receiver. They have a good tight end and Jared Peakney. He's an NFL caliber tight end they have some good running backs they can also throw to and their young wide receivers have come along so i think there's enough weapons uh against the nevada defense that they could they could put up 40 i mean i i, I think that could happen i think vandy could still win a high scoring game i just think nevada's chance to win a game has become a high scoring but i don't think nevada can win a low scoring game all right adam well thank you for joining us on today's show uh can you tell the audience where they can follow uh, find you on social media? Uh, sure. You can find my stories online at Tennessean.com, and then you can find me on Twitter at Adam Sparks. All right, Adam, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we, hope you have a, we hope you have a good season, and we'll talk soon. Okay, good deal. Thanks for having me. So we are back with a very special segment that is very prevalent to what's going on in pop culture, sports, and media right now. And that is... And Nevada alums. And Nevada alum, yes. And if you don't know what we're talking about right now from what we just mentioned... You really need to get a computer, man. Like, yeah, you... If you don't know what we're going to talk about already, like, you need to get on the internet. Like, I, I think, think you should know. Yeah, you might live under a rock. I live under a rock. So, Ka- Nike unveiled that Kaepernick is one of the faces of their 30th anniversary Just Do It campaign. He joins the like of Shaquem Griffin. Is it Shaquille or Shaquem? Shaquem. Shaquem Griffin. Uh, was it Serena Williams? Serena Williams. Odell, Odell Beckham. Beckham. And uh, LeBron. Le- Le- LeBron, yeah. So, they all put out uh, pictures where it's for the three people who are still in professional sports leagues. Okay, but let's, let's just talk about, like, the big issue, right? Like, I think yeah. we should just jump right into the issue. So, the big issue is Colin Kaepernick, you know, kneeling for the for – the, uh, uh, the anthem. For the anthem uh, that, two seasons still, ago. That's still, yeah, but that's still over two years ago. Exactly. But, hey, that's the issue. That's what pe- – and so, in, in response to this, people started to burn Nike sneakers, cut up clothes, destroy them, throw them away, whatever, right? So, yeah, if you don't – yeah, you're right. That That is a problem. Like, I don't understand – what Nike's doing is Nike's profiting off you because you already have the shoes. You already have the socks. And Nike's not going to – Nike is not really sweating over people stop buying their shoes. Like Nike doesn't care. Nike, I think the biggest issue is the principle behind it that we're looking at. You know, the, 
think about Tim Tebow. Remember when he kneeled for abortion and people people raved about it. They loved it. They were like, oh, my God, look at him being such a patriot, you know, kneeling for something that he believes in. But as soon as Colin Kaepernick does it to protest against uh, police brutality and the treatment of black people in our country, it's screw this guy. What a racist. Like, or like what? God, he's not a, he's not a patriot at he's all. He's not supporting the troops. He's not supporting the troops. You know, I think that. That's the bigger issue, you know, is looking at See, like we're not, it's it's it's. We already talked about this on Pack Center. We talked about this when it when it first happened. That now, but the thing is, but like, now it's coming back, it and, it's, coming. and it, it'll never end. And Colin Ka- and like, I just understand. I don't understand it. And I think like as a Colin Kaepernick being a Nevada grad and being a uh, a part of the, uh, the 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 historically black fraternity on campus and and all that stuff. I think that he this issue has uh, a particular um, like. Particular Revel, uh, pre- prevalence it's re- on our it's, campus, yeah. you know, and I think that it, it's super important for for us to get that word out that you know th- things are happening like this and to, and get, and to have that kind of discussion. Um, so, for a little bit of context for what, if people don't know this ad, it's it's a picture, it's a it's a close up of Kaepernick's face, and it says, "Believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything," with a swoosh on the bottom uh, bottom middle of the picture. And I think, and one of the biggest arguments you've seen on the internet is, oh, what did he sacrifice? He's making millions of dollars from Nike, blah, 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 blah. He's sacrificing his dream as an NFL quarterback. I mean, this guy has, has always, he's, he's had, he's been an athlete his entire life. He's dreamed about doing this. He broke records upon records while here at Nevada. You know, and he goes into the NFL and he leads the 49ers to a Super Bowl in his first season, you know, and then to the NFC Championship the next season. You know, this guy had an opportunity to be an incredibly great quarterback. You know, he started to go downhill, and I think it, it this, I mean, I'm a 49ers fan, so I can go on and talk about this forever, you know, and I was a huge Kaepernick fan, and it was one of the reasons why I came here, too. I, I still think one of the issues of him declining at the Niners was also him, like, with Harbaugh, like, his tensions with front ownership. I mean, it was, it, again, I, the thing is, like, I don't think that it was ever a Kaepernick issue. I think it was a 49er issue. We had so many issues in the front office and arguments between the coach and, and the GM and all that stuff. They tried to change the scheme and they tried to, to change Kaepernick from um, a running quarterback, a dual threat, all that stuff to, you know, you're going to sit in the pocket. And there was times where Kaep- you could see physically see Kaepernick doing that instinct, trying to run thinking that, oh, I can't run, and then getting, getting a big hit. You know, they they ruined Kaepernick already that way, but Kaepernick still had an opportunity to come back. You know, he, he could have still, like, especially once once the 49ers kind of got their stuff together and figured out, okay, like, got rid of Harbaugh, got rid of the GM, whatever they needed to do to figure that stuff out. Kaepernick could have come back and been uh, an elite quarterback. He could have been up there with Cam Newton, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, all these guys right now. But he decided to take a stand for something important. I don't know if you know this, Garrett, but while he was playing, while he was playing football, he was taking classes at Berkeley um, about like um, black heritage and things like and like and like power movements and things like that. And he learned that uh, he he had a special role in society and that he could actually stand up for something that he believed in, you know. And so he decided to do a peaceful protest, kneel down for the flat, kneel down during the the uh, national anthem. You know, to, to start to start a buzz, but the media took it in the wrong direction. You know, and I and I hate saying the media because you know we're part of the media too. But you know, there there's always this that that big brother kind of feeling in the media, especially in national media. You know that they took this to a place that it wasn't meant to be, and no one cared to listen. And I think that that, that that's something that's very specific to the NFL. You don't see that kind of stuff happening in the NBA very often. No, because the NBA NBA players have the are like are not afraid of their the league. Are not afraid of the league, and like you see, like mega star athletes like LeBron, Steph Curry, calling the president of the United States a bum, and attacking him for like when the Trump when Trump criticized the Warriors for not not going to the White House, and it seems like everyone in the NBA has each other's back, and it doesn't seem like that in the NFL. It really doesn't seem like that in the NFL. It's very, and I- it, it this it, this all stems from I think. That players are afraid of Roger Goodell, and I think Roger Goodell is afraid of the president. Well, you you look at you look at the N, the NFL and who runs it. It's all old white men, right? They don't get it. The major fan base is, you know, you is rural at- is is rural uh, America, you know, and they're going to be extremely vocal about things like this. 
And but you also look at the owners, like especially the owners of football teams, like they're majority white. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like granted, they don't they don't get you it. Can say the same thing about basketball, but there's still more minor like. There's still mi- more minorities. Basketball's been more with it for the longest time. They understand. I mean, I think it also has to do with, like, the player demographics and things like that. We can go in that forever, and I, and, and I don't but think you, that either of us are experts to go and talk about also, this. But you can also say that the NBA has a, the NBA has a rule about no kneeling for the anthem. You, you must stand for the anthem. This, they have had this in place since the 90s. I, I don't know. I think the rules are, are meant to be broken like that anyway. You know, obviously there's going to be a rule like that, but if you're going to take a knee, it's, it's going to it's going to create a buzz. It, it was meant to to start a conversation, and it did uh, among certain people, but it also in the most vocal part of the country. You know, and some some of the most vocal things ended up being you know Cap- burning Kaepernick jerseys, uh, saying that he talking about uh, that he he hates the troops, things like that. You know, but in reality, that was never the message to begin with, right? No. And I, and I, we've talked about this before. I think everyone kind of knows the the initial issue that happened, right? But like now, it's the Nike stuff. It's all come back. It's come full, full circle. But what I came on this show to talk about, Garrett, and what you invited me on this show to talk about is the fact that people are are going around and burning perfectly good shoes, right? Um, fill in our fans what I've been doing since I've left Pack Centers. I'm working for this nonprofit company called Kicking It for a Cause. Trader. <laughs> Man, I, I'm doing great things around the world right now. So what we do is we do uh, sneaker drives and community outreach throughout the country, uh, and we donate sneakers to to people uh, less fortunate, both domestically and abroad. We do we're doing a big donation to the Congo, and I believe April is is our uh, is our target time, and we bring a hundred thousand sneak pairs of shoes to to these tribes out there who've never had shoes and are, who are losing their feet to infections and things like that, you know. And so for me and for our organization. To, to see people publicly burning shoes and throwing them away, it hurts, you know, because there, there are better options for that. You know, you could, you know, if, if this is in protest for, for the veterans that are, that are not getting the appreciation that they deserve or whatever, you know, go out and donate your, your shoes or, or anything, you know, to, to veterans hospitals and, and, via, and, and homeless veterans and things like that, you know. Give it to our organization, Kicking It for a Cause. You know, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Kicking It, uh, K I C K N I T underscore. Wow, what self? Wow, what self promotion? You know, and I, and I you know, cause I, mean, I want to get the, this message out there because I think that there's going to be people who are inspired enough to to want to be a part of to want to to be a part of this. I think that a lot of our fan base, um, I'm sure, is going to look at is, sees this and feels the same way that I do. Right? There's a lot of people out there that that's that see people wasting perfectly good clothes, you know, and shoes and things like that, things that are a necessity. I think that people, it's super um, underrated how important shoes are for people. Can you imagine going going a, a day walking around the streets without with barefoot, Garrett? No, I can't. I, And that's one thing I think a lot of people like. You, and you look at the people who are doing it, they're mostly conservatives, like conservatives who are burning the shoes. You don't see... You never saw liberals go and burn Adidas when when one of their main ambassadors, Kanye West, uh, tr- tweeted tweeted pictures with Trump, tweeted "Make America Great Again." Hasn't "Make America Great Again" ha? So I think it's one side, and it's one side of the conversation that people that that people don't want to hear. Yeah, you know, and I and I get it. Like I I can see why people did it. You know, it, it gets attention. It goes viral. Like, you knew that something like that was going to be sensationalized and go crazy, right? But I think it, it – I want to kind of get that message out before anyone else tries to copy it and gets inspired by that side of the argument that there's there's better ways to do it, you know? And if you're one of those people who are seeing this and it, and it hurts you too, know that there are options for you to get involved as well, right? Look, this is really smart from Nike, from Nike because Nike has made a living – they are one of the most recognizable brands in the world. Uh, you look at what happened when Jordan, when Jordan first joined them. Uh, there was a very strict you only had you could only wear white shoes. He wore black and red shoes. Those got banned from the league. You look at some of the other athletes they have. They have Tiger Woods, who I, in '09, you remember that whole Tiger Woods like incident? Yeah. Nike was the only sponsorship to stay with them. Same thing with Kobe. What happened in Colorado? Nike stood with them. I mean, Nike profits like that's what Nike's one of the greatest brands in marketing. 
you know. And the reason that they are is because they play on controversy. Controversy sells, you know. You know, you, you never, you've heard the, the saying, no bad is, is bad press, right? Or no press is bad press. I don't know if I said that right. Um, and, that, and that's the kind of thing. You know, people are going to be – not much free ads Mike, Nike has gotten from this whole controversy. Pe- everyone is talking about Nike right now. And, you know, it's Colin Kaepernick, Nike, and then, like, these bigot people out in rural country, right? So Nike – and those and those people that are burning the shoes aren't Nike's target audience anyway. You know, the only thing that, that's hurt Nike is their stock has plummeted re- recently. But, you know, a couple – $3 billion here and there isn't going to change anything. And they're on the upswing anyway. Who cares? Yeah, and one thing to say the least is if you are looking to – if you are trying to become insta- uh, viral on the internet by burning shoes, please don't. Those are shoes that people can actually use – and there are people who actually need them. Yeah, you know, our company started um, from a viral trend. We had we teamed up with another organization called the Tibanera Foundation, and we started a, a viral kind of uh, ice bucket challenge type event, right, where we would go and challenge uh, our friends, our families, celebrities. We work with a lot of big celebrities, Steph Curry, you know, the Warriors, the Kings, all kinds of guys. And we would, we would say, like, like, hey, these are the two shoes that I'm going to donate to Kicking It for a Cause. I challenge uh, blah, 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 your friends, right? And then they would go and do the whole thing. And we raised 30,000 pairs of shoes in our first year, right? This year we have, we have over 100,000 shoes. We've, been, we've gotten donations from Under Armour, Nike, Zappos, all these, all these great organizations, you know. And there's opportunity to go viral doing, doing something good too. And I think people need to know that it's not all about being – crazy sensational you know you can make a difference by you, you can you can have your your clout and your time in the limelight by doing something good you're right and we have to wrap up time is time is running out but one thing i would say is go watch the nike video that was just released a couple of days ago the one kaepernick posted it was tr- it's truly a great video uh and it and it is inspiring to see like to see Nike. but to be fair all, a lot of nike ads are like this yeah, I mean, Nike is one of those incredible companies that have played on inspiration. You know, the Just Do It campaign is supposed to be all about motivation and, you know, inner inner strength and things like that. I loved this ad. I watched it. I was so hyped. Like, I'm ready to, to conquer the world now. You know, and I think one of the greatest lines in it is uh, – and I'm paraphrasing because I don't, I, I don't know what it is exactly, but it's, um, you know, don't try to be like someone else. Be like you. And like try to be the next best thing, right? You know, don't don't look and want to be don't it said don't don't strive to uh to be like OBJ. Have OBJ strive to be like you. It's or, like don't wear OB don't don't wear OBJ's jersey. Have OBJ wear your jersey. Yeah, it, that's that was the that was the quote there. You know, and I think that's that's a very powerful statement. I think to to hear, and I think that's something that that the two of us have talked about before in the past, Garrett. I think that's, that's, we're not, our show isn't trying to be like, like everyone else's show. You know, we're not trying to be the next Skip Bayless. We're not trying to be the next, uh, uh, the herd or whatever, you know, we're trying to be pack center. We're trying to be the the greatest, the, the most fun, the most interactive, the most informative, you know, uh, student run, uh, Nevada, Nevada Wolfpack podcast out there, you know, not a lot of competition in, in, in the area, but you know, it's still fun. We want to be able to, to, to get that fan base out there and, and do our thing. And I think, Garrett, I, I know myself, and I know that you, you you're, this is your baby. You love this now. Yeah, and uh, yeah, this is something we've, we've spent two year, two, almost two years in the making, and it finally feels like we're at the peak of what we're – not even the peak. This just feels like we're on the up and up of what we're doing. And it's finally it's, – it's it's finally nice to see some recognition for the hard work you put in. And yeah. with that being said, we thank you guys for listening to this episode. Thank you, Jordan, for being on the show. Any final thoughts? Um, you know, final thoughts. Uh, it's great to be back on the show. You know, I, Pack Center. I might have I might have taken a backseat role in Pack Center, but I'm still I still love to hear all the success, Garrett. And I'm super proud of of everything that you've done with it recently. Um, and again, you know, going back to the Colin Kaepernick thing and the donations, please, you know, if if you do if you do want to donate, if you are inspired to donate anything, um, if you if you want to go, uh, talk about it with us on Twitter or anything, you know, you can follow uh, 
kicking it for a cause. Uh, it's at kicking it K I C K N I T underscore. Come and check uh, check us out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and then you know come and donate with us. You know have conversations with with us on Pack Center too. Garrett's loves to run the uh, the Twitter page. He loves to have conversations with people. Um, you know just just keep it going. I, I know I kind of rambled there for a little bit, but uh, but yeah. Thank you, Garrett, for having me on the show. Yeah, but and one thing before we go, make sure that you guys turn turn into Nevada versus Vanderbilt this this coming Saturday, and we will see you guys next time.